Hello, you're listening to No Such Word Is Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice, as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, I get to welcome American opera singer, mezzo-soprano, Samantha Hanke to the podcast. Welcome, Samantha. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat to you. And we actually already had a nice little little chat before we started recording um, about opera singers in Glasgow, which is where I'm from. Um, but for anyone who isn't familiar with you or your work, could you give yourself a little brief introduction? Sure. Um, so I'm a professional performer. I specialize in opera and classical music. So most of the time, my, my job is getting up on stage, portraying different characters, both men and women. And uh, I would say my job description is sing pretty, sing in a foreign language, and sometimes dress up like a guy. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting career path. And I think, you know, like when you're a kid, or maybe you did, I don't know, but it's not really, you don't ask like a six-year-old, what do you want to be when you're older? They don't usually come out with opera singer. Um, right. So what, did, did you always sing? Did you always have I a passion for sang. music? Yes. Um, while I didn't know that I wanted to be an opera singer, I knew that I wanted to be a singer from a very early age. I was in a local town production of the musical Annie. I was just in the chorus, but um, that was my first exposure to performing and being on stage and I loved it. Um, and so I, I begged my mom, please put me in voice lessons. I wanna keep singing. And I just always stuck with it. Singing lessons led to chorus, led to performing arts high school, which is where I really discovered my passion was opera. Yeah, that's that's really early, though, if you discovered your passion was opera as early as high school. I think it was the right time. I mean, a lot of a lot of professional musicians, they start, you know, playing piano or violin when they're three mm. or five years old. Um, but with the human voice, it, it actually takes a lot longer because of, of hormones and, and just your physical development mm. um, in order to start specializing in classical music and specifically opera. So being exposed to opera in high school was kind of a good age because I could really hone in my musicianship and, and the skills that then were the, the groundwork for being able to sing opera when my body was really mature. Yeah. And did you, had you been taken to operas beforehand? Is that what really inspired you? Or was it listening, listening to operas, you know, online that really exposed you to it? Where did you find the passion specifically for opera? Yeah, I had been in a chorus of uh, Carmen before going to high school, but that was so isolated. You know, we we practiced the music in the back. We ran out on stage and there were no costumes really or anything. And so I, I don't think that that's where my love of opera was even triggered. Mm. It was It was actually in this vocal arts class that we had Tuesdays and Thursdays at um, the Walnut Hill School for Performing Arts. And it was that first class we had, one of the older singers sang Sure on the Shining Night by Samuel Barber. 
and I just burst into tears. It's it's mm-hmm. a very short little art song, but the way that she sang, it just gave me goosebumps. And I thought, I want to sing like that. And the focus of the program was classical music and opera. So naturally, that's what I was able to study there. Yeah. Um, but I my, my intention was always to go into uh, the performing arts high school and then eventually maybe move on to pop music. Um, I just wanted to sing. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to sing. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think a lot of people are, I've never personally seen an opera. It's definitely on my bucket list to oh, go. I know, I know. I really, really want to. Um, well, a lot of people say that they have an emotional reaction to it. Yes. Well, there's there's something very special about opera because it's kind of the culmination of a, a number of different art forms. It's it's theater, it's music, it's dance, um, it's visual art when you think about all of the, the scenic pieces involved. Um, but what really touches people is the fact that we don't use any form of amplification. So mm. when you see an opera, people are standing up on that stage and it's all of our breath support and the resonance that we can create with our own bodies in the space. That's That's what you hear. You don't hear any kind of mics. They don't exist. Um, and so I think that touches people in a different way. That's it's so impressive. It's so impressive. So when you made the decision that you wanted to start training as an opera singer, you know, you'd had voice lessons from a young mm-hmm. age. What did you did you have to change did your technique? I assume what was that process like? You know, I, I was always trained classically, so it was really just a seamless evolution. Mm-hmm. Nothing nothing had to change. Um, I just kind of continued on the trajectory, which I had already been on. It was really a a mental shift. um, I think for me as a young singer, that this is what I, I I want to sing with vibrato. I want to be great with languages. Um, I want to do the research of, of the singers of the past and, and learn how to do this specifically. Uh, so do you did you have to learn other languages? So we study something called the International Phonetic Alphabet. And okay. while you do your best to, to learn different languages, um, IPA gives you the tools in order to sound like you know what you're saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you can start to recognize vowel combinations and constant combinations in a given language um, and what sounds that should that should make. Of course you go through and you translate so you know exactly what you're saying but the pronunciation is so important because language is how we communicate you know um, so you want to sound authentic you don't want someone singing in your native language butchering it you want to just feel like they're telling you a story you don't have to think about uh, the sounds that they're making other than being moved. Um, so I, I trained in IPA for, for many, many years. And now I pick up most pieces of music in a romance language. And I just, I'm either familiar with the words because I've sung them before in a different variation, or I can uh, I can look at different combinations of vowels and, and consonants and say, that's going to be an open vowel. That's a closed sound. And then I check it with someone who's native in that language. To make sure what I've done is is uh, correct. Yeah, I think that's the the blessing of the romantic languages. I I'm fluent in French and in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, 
sometimes a lot of guesswork gets you a long way in those languages yeah. you know they have their own differences and their own grammatical yeah. things and their own language rules but when you're looking at the words you're kind of like I kind of I can get the gist like I don't speak Italian mm -hmm. but if I read mm -hmm. a text of Italian I could probably make an educated guess of what's going on from the Spanish and the French right what about like German <laughs> like because um, that's very different uh, but it is still a romance language and the, the rules apply, you know, so we would study the international phonetic alphabet and we would learn the rules that apply mm. to, to German. So final R's are going to oftentimes be rolled. Um, intervocalic R's are what's called a uvular R. Um, you learn the, the sounds of the language and the rules, but of course you do your best Sometimes you have to go to an expert and say, is this really this sound? And they'll correct you. You train your ear so that you can imitate those sounds mm. to the best of your ability. Um, and of course, there's also then modifications within the voice. When you're singing a very, very high note, sometimes you have to learn tricks. So if you're singing one vowel, it sounds like a different one. Um, yeah, it's like we do... Um... I used to be in choir and stuff and they would say you know mm -hmm. sing with like an e vowel even if it's technically not an e to help you hit a higher note the like audience the audience will hear the e vowel even if you're singing an ah for example yeah yeah, yeah depending yeah, yeah. on where you are in the range and how you move your lips it's it's all a whole bunch of, of tricks like smoke and smoke and mirrors <laughs> what's your favorite language to sing in I actually love singing in German which is funny <laughs> that, that you ask about it I I lived in uh, Munich, Germany for, for two years while I was um, an ensemble member at the Bayerische Staatsoper. And I, I do love singing in German. Is there a and reason why? I, I think the, the use of the consonants um, really help hook into my support. Mm. Um, I, I feel a great sense of, of breath control. I like singing through consonants. Um, I, I also think that it's really beautiful the way that the, the the words are used. Yeah, it must it must be very like it's so it sounds so technical. Like singing in general is much more technical <laughs> than I think the layperson you know potentially Absolutely. understands. You know, like the voice is a muscle. The way you use your voice is going to change. You know, especially when you put emotion into it. You know, you're you're acting mm -hmm. as well. You know, you're up there on a stage, so that's going to affect how your voice sounds too. Mm -hmm. when you first started you know really seriously pursuing opera did you ever have a moment of going oh my god this is so much more difficult than I thought it was going to be interesting question um there have definitely been times in the career where I thought this is a lot mm. how am I going to do this um but I think because of the training I've had and because I've been doing this my whole life and it's been my my dream it's what I've always wanted to do, um, I keep I keep taking those those leaps of faith. I keep jumping off the cliff, and yeah. and things work out. There's a lot of trust involved in performing. Um, so I I think yes, of course it's natural to have that kind of fear and insecurity, the the imposter syndrome, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but that's essential to being an artist. You have to be vulnerable in order to take the audience on a journey with you. 
Do you feel lucky that you discovered, you know, what you, you know, especially I think with an art artistic career, a creative career as well, mm -hmm. we pour so much of ourselves into it. Do you mm -hmm. feel lucky that you knew what you wanted to do from such a young age? Absolutely. Yeah, I think sometimes I, I wonder how life would have panned out if I if I didn't know, if I went on that kind of journey of exploration mm -hmm. of, of different hobbies and, and interests, um, having more traditional experiences, you know, going to a regular university or college. Um, but I'm exactly where I want to be and and I love what I do. So yeah, I'm very I, happy where I am. <laughs> you know, this is why I honestly love having this podcast and getting to talk to people who come from so many different walks of life and cultures and mm -hmm. countries and have taken that leap of faith, like you said, and gone, hey, you know what, this is what I really want to do. And I'm going to do my best to see it through to the end. And, yeah. you know, having those stories is so inspirational. So at what moment did you feel like, oh, my God, I've made it? Like you got a part in an opera, which was, what was your first one? What was that first moment for you? <laughs> um, you know, there have been a few along the way that felt like really big milestones. Um, I always talk about the importance of having this kind of visualization and this dream board. Mm. But there's so many roles and there's so many operas and so many opera houses that I feel like I keep having those moments where like it feels this this is it this is this is the next big milestone um are you it, really big amazing. on visualization I am yeah um I, I think that that's been a huge part of of the success that I've experienced is I, I have a very clear vision mm. um and I think it's important to share the vision with other people so that they can be a part of your journey. Uh, I love that. It also experience. holds you accountable too. Yeah. But I also think that people like being a part of it. I, I think yeah. if people have the ability um, to help you achieve your, your goals and your dreams, and for the most part, I think people want to be a part of it. Um, they want to support you. They want to see you succeed. It's not like, you tell people this is my dream and they they hoard it and they say Haha, I'm not gonna <laughs> do what I can to support this person you know if yeah if you're doing the work you're doing what you're supposed to be um and people want to be a part of it I love that though I think that's so important for anyone listening as well you know for most people what stops them from achieving the dream is the fear of failure and they're mm -hmm. so afraid that they just don't start um, yeah. So yeah, sometimes it can be as simple as saying to a parent or a friend or a trusted person in your life, hey, I really want to do this. Yeah. And then just by having that other person go, hey, I believe in you. Yeah, you can do that. You can then have the courage to try. Absolutely. So what was yeah. your first big role in an opera? Oh, the first big one. Probably in high school, I sang... The Sorceress in Dido and Aeneas. Um, but of course, I still had this, you know, little baby voice. Um, <laughs> and it's a role I haven't touched since, but it was so much fun. And the responsibility of of learning all the music and em embracing the character um, of leading the other artists that, we, that I sang with on stage. Um, I think that was probably one of my... I think first ones. 
Did you ever suffer with, you know, stage fright or nerves of going out and singing completely by yourself in front of a crowd? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, absolutely. Yeah. And thanks to social media, I actually learned that over time, what I thought was just, um, you know, excitement or, or whatnot, it can actually be like a little bit of anxiety. So mm. um, stage fright, anxiety, it's, it's all normal. It's part of the game. Um, it's part of the job. Uh, and, and honestly, it, it keeps you on your toes. There's nothing like the adrenaline performance. You, you rehearse, you rehearse over and over again. Um, yeah. But when there are people in the audience, when the stakes are raised, the adrenaline kicks in and it is just an entirely different ball game. I mean, you have to rely on the hours of work you've put in and just trust that your body has this muscle memory so that you can deal with calming your breath down, focusing on your intent. Um, when things go wrong, if there's a puddle of water on the floor, how do you still do your staging and avoid it? What happens if the conductor flips two pages at once? How are you guys going to get back at the same place? Um, Has that happened? All kinds of things. Oh, all the time. Oh things go wrong in performance all the time. And so you have to uh, just lean into the adrenaline, use that kind of that boost it gives you and, and focus. You, what, is there one moment that sticks out in your brain of like, oh my goodness, this was a big like mishap on stage? I mean, there's just been so many. <laughs> um, I, I'm thinking to most recently where I was unbuttoning my, my colleague's jacket and I had done this, you know, dozens of times and I look up at this exact moment in the music. But this one performance, he was leaning too far forward and my forehead collided with his nose and I heard oh, a, no. and I <gasps> thought, Oh my god, I just broke his nose. <laughs> oh no. So um I I was so caught off guard, I kind of just sat down instead of continuing walking for a second because I was waiting for blood to start gushing down his nose. Um luckily it didn't and we kept on going and I think he was um totally game for our characters to be a little bit rough, but I was so worried. He's like, let's and just I channel this into our performance. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I mean, another time I was, I have this issue where I get so into character. Um, I stop thinking about safety a little bit. Because <laughs> um, a lot of the time I'm playing uh, young boys. So it takes a lot mm. of energy. Um, I went to grab my colleague's arm as per the staging and my fingernail got caught in my colleague's dress in the beating. And I pulled and my entire fingernail ripped off. Ow. Um, so that was incredibly painful. And, and then having to continue singing and hoping blood didn't get all over my costume. You know, these are just, these are just the things that happened. <laughs> I mean, I would never have pegged opera singing to be a hazardous job, but... Uh... <laughs> I mean, a lot of the time you think about videos of people just standing in one place and singing this incredible music, but I think the art form has changed a lot. Um, there are a lot more demands physically um, of what we're expected to do. I've, I've flown a few times in different shows. 
Oh, nice. Okay. On it's like on wires? Yes, like all harnesses. I mean, how how else would you fly? Yeah, magic, Hazel. With my imagination. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's actually a very physical job. It's it's very physical. Yeah, you mentioned that um you also frequently play young boys. Um mm-hmm. I'm imagining that has more to do with the fact that you're a mezzo soprano and less to do with looks or not being able to find a man to play it, correct? Exactly, exactly. So it is the way that these roles were written. The composer sat down and he said, I want this boy to be sung by a woman because of the color of the voice, because this woman's voice is going to blend well with this other woman's voice in these Mm -hmm. ensembles. Um, And it's totally normal. It's part of the job. It's not a a weird thing at all. Um, And... I love it. I think it's it's really fun. I enjoy it. When I when I was graduating from college, I thought I'll I'll, I'll go on to sing all these wonderfully feminine roles. <laughs> it turns out I sing very few females. <laughs> uh, is that because there's like late. a certain cutoff for soprano mezzo soprano? Like how is that quote unquote decided? Uh, it depends on on your range. Um, while mezzos and sopranos sing a lot of the same notes. It also comes down to comfort, color of the voice, um, and a lot of where the voice speaks, if you will. Mm. Uh, So while you can maybe hit all of the same notes, if you don't feel like um, the soul is really coming through in all of it, you know, that's that's kind of what determines. It it gets a bit more technical, but that's, that's the way I'll describe it for non-music fanatics that are listening (laughs) yeah and um I know that in your work history you played I think it was Prince Charmant in Uh in Paris so -hmm. you get to travel a lot for your work too most of the time I'm on the road for for work yes is there more work for opera singers in Europe than there is in the states for example or am I just like making that up in my head like you associate opera with like classical Europe and I don't know maybe it's just a stereotype opera for the most part is is global um there's opera being done in every part of the world um but I would say that it's very popular in in Europe and there are more opportunities especially for for young singers to break in in Europe was it a big um part of your desire to be an opera singer was like oh I get to travel doing this or was it just a happy coincidence it was just a happy coincidence I, I it was just a part of the job so I just accepted you know this is what it is where was the first um opera job where you traveled first opera job I traveled to was my professional debut in Oslo Norway nice what was first- that like well, I was there between September and January, so it was a little cold and dark, <laughs> <laughs> but luckily the people there are incredibly warm. Um, I had a beautiful time in Oslo. My first singing trip, though, was to Japan when I was 13 with the Boston Children's Chorus. Wow. We went to um, an international tr- children's choir festival. It was in the Aichi province, and uh, that was absolutely amazing. Um, that was the the first time I traveled for music. 
That's incredible. You must have seen so many different, gotten to experience so many cultures as well, you know, and use all of that to draw on when you're singing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I really love the element of, of traveling, but getting to live somewhere for an extended period of time. A lot of my contracts last between six and eight weeks long. So you're not a tourist. You're you're traveling somewhere usually a day or two before the job starts, and then you're going to work. So you're probably not going to a lot of tourist destinations, but you are going to grocery stores. <laughs> um, you're finding local spots, and and I feel like I get to experience what it's like to really live somewhere when I travel. What does like the typical day in the life of an opera singer look like when you're working? Well, it depends. Um, so there are different stages of, of work. So there's a rehearsal period, which can be a couple of days to a couple of weeks. Um, it depends on the schedule of the house, but usually you start maybe around 10 a.m. Um, you show up at the opera house, do a few scales, um, make sure you've had a good breakfast, and you start doing scenic work. So um, the director will be telling you where you're going to be moving around on stage, what the intent of your character might be. Um, you might instead have music work with the conductor, um, costume fittings, those are a normal part of uh, the rehearsal process. And then there's a switch. So you'll stop going in early in the morning, you know, and you'll start doing evening rehearsals in most houses. Um, and that's tech week. So you move to the stage out of your rehearsal room. You'll start having more set pieces, more props, more costume elements as needed. And they'll be adding lighting. You might have the orchestra. Um, and you might be running this the show or at least certain acts of the show because in in general operas are quite long. The last one I did was um, you know with intermissions four and a half hours long. Wow. Um, so we would rehearse one act on stage at a time um, instead of running the whole piece because it's just so big. And when um, you're working, are you working? How many days a week? I assume just one opera per day. So you usually focus on one opera at a time. Mm -hmm. um, so if I'm if I'm working, my next show is Pelias and Melisande. So when I head to Santa Fe, I will be working exclusively on that one show um, during the entire summer. What I do in my free time, I'll be working on upcoming projects, but. Um, as a, as a freelancer, I'm usually going and working on the one opera I'm contracted for. Mm -hmm. And then it's my responsibility to manage and uh, juggle all of the other pieces I have to prepare for because um, we show up on a gig and we're expected to have the piece fully memorized. So mm. books closed, on your feet, working, um, which I think is a little different from musical theater. If I, if I understand correctly, you show up on day one for musical theater and they teach you the music. Mm. So totally, totally different, uh, different thing. So a day in the life of an opera singer actually varies a lot depending where you are in the rehearsal period um, and what kind of job you're doing, which uh -huh. is lovely because I like the variation. I like that most days aren't the same. Um, 
and it keeps it it keeps it fun and also getting to play different parts too oh I love that um you know it keeps it fresh you you know just from this one character and you you find physicality that fits this one and you move to a different character who's entirely different so it's actually why I think it's so important to um, be quite active and fit because each role and opera has a lot of different physical demands yeah and if if you don't stay fit I think you're more likely to um, have injuries yeah and what would you say to anyone who's potentially you know never been to an opera it's not kind of in their sphere of influence but they're interested in going mm. to see one like how accessible would you say it is to the average person opera is incredibly accessible don't be afraid don't think that you have to wear a ball gown there are tickets that are comparable to going to the movies i i think most theaters have tickets starting in the 20 to 30 dollar pound euro range mm -hmm. um it's easy to find some inexpensive tickets go on wikipedia and read what the show is about sit down and enjoy some beautiful music um, and be be transported um if you like theater if you like movies um i think opera is for everyone and if you go to an opera and you don't love it, give it another chance because it's it's like film where there are lots of different genres. Mm. So maybe the first one you go to, it's um, it, it might be a very long German opera. If you don't like that, maybe try something in French or Italian or English. Um, just give a few a try. Is there any particular opera that you know of that jumps to mind that might be good for a beginner? I think Does that exist? Do, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, Carmen is a great beginner opera. Um, La Boheme is another favorite. Um, Verdi's uh, La Traviata, also. Um, but just read what you're going to see beforehand, and enjoy. Most most theaters now have super titles, which are like little subtitles, um, mm. either in the seat in front of you. Or above head, so you can follow along with what people are singing in your language. Um, even if they're singing in French, you can read what's going on in English. Um, yeah. It That's shouldn't be so scary, and you don't have to wear a ball gown. Oh, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think if, if I was going to go to the opera, I'm going to go to the opera. Like, I'm going to okay, go. Okay. I'm the type of person that's like, I will go all out. I will use this as an excuse to dress up. <laughs> Um, but I know that if it, if I was going with my mum, she'd be like, I'm going to wear my trainers and come in jeans. You can, Thank you. you can I'm definitely go in trainers and jeans. I mean, you can be smart casual. You can be super formal. I'd probably avoid going in like slides or, or sandals, but <laughs> um, there are also lots of outdoor venues. So I think just go. Give it a try. So if people want to hear you sing or follow along with what you're getting up to, where can people find you? I think the best place for people to know what I'm up to is on Instagram at samantha.hanky. Um, I post links to my website for calendar information, but I show a lot of behind the scenes. I show my travels, what's going on, how I prepare for shows. Um, and I try to keep people informed about performance news. Yeah, well, Samantha, thank you so much. 
for coming on the podcast today, for sharing all of your experiences and your wisdom. And I'm sure that opera ticket sales will be uh, going on the up after people have heard this. I sure know that I, <laughs> I am definitely going to look into it for sure. Well, I'll be in I'll be in London uh, next summer if you if you want to ca- catch something at the Royal Opera. Oh, for sure. Oh, I'm going to send you an email about that. Let's but um, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate and subscribe and I will catch you all next week.